y'all. Because of what the Lord has done for us. Sing that again. And now let the weak, let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. Give thanks. That's it. Give thanks. the worship team and folks that are involved in Sunday service pray over in that corner before service and uh, briefly connected with justice tall white fella who plays electric guitar I can't miss him um, and I said how you doing and he said uh I said you know I'm good he says I'm growing hey. yeah. oh it gets better though he says I'm growing and then he said it's my community. And then he said, when they grow, I grow. I was like, oh. Man, I was just like, I was like, brother, that just, and I just told him, I said, thank you for encouraging me. I just, I, like in 20 seconds, you know, Unlike your pastor, who needs like an hour. <laughs> in 20 seconds, he just like said something really profound. He's like, when they grow, I grow. I was like, what? So do you have a group of people you could point to and say, when they grow, I grow? Are you part of a life group or a micro group? Are you part of these amazing ministries that we've got going in our church where you can say, yeah, I'm doing life with them. So when they grow, I grow. That's just powerful, man. Well, I don't know what that was, CC. This is for you, Jenny Hong. I was just going to ignore it, but I can't ignore it. I don't know. I don't know. Because those are, you know, you guys are sitting there going, what was that all about, right? And I'm one of those people like, so here's the story. The backdrop story is my wife. That's her favorite song of like all time, right? That's her favorite song. You know, we grew up, my wife and I grew up in like the 80s, you know. Anybody remember songs like, as the deer panted. All right, all right, that's enough. Anyway, we don't, no, Lori, no. I know it's a great song, but I'm, what I'm saying is there are a bunch of people sitting here going, what, what, what are they singing? What is that? What is that? And, and Cece, that's why my, my wife loves you. Um, anyway, so that's what that was. And, and when we clap. Oh, boy. Um, we've been talking about, we've been talking about discipleship. And today, and I need to do a quick intro because the rest of today, you get to hear another story of someone who is one of our church members. And she has a power, man, powerful testimony. 
of what discipleship looks like when someone follows Jesus, right? Um, we've been talking about discipleship, and I've mentioned, for, especially for those of us who grew up in church, there's this, there's this uh, renewed interest in discipleship. And I think part of the reason is because we have come out now from decades of what I call make-a-decision theology. We've come out, church, from decades of, hey, pray a prayer. Invite Jesus into your heart. And earn your way into heaven. There's nothing wrong with that prayer in and of itself. Although I've mentioned that there's no, there's no such suspicious prayer in the New Testament, mind you. Jesus never says, invite me into your heart. You won't find that in the New Testament. But this make a decision theology, if you will, has, I think, disillusioned possibly millions of people who think they're Christian when they might not be. Because Jesus said clearly, the invitation is not just believe in me. There's like two, three times in the Testament where Jesus says believe, but the rest of it, the bulk of it is what? Come what? Say it with me. Come follow me. The invitation was come follow me. And Jesus was upfront about what it meant to follow him. He was never shy about the demands of discipleship, right? He's saying anyone can come, anyone, and that's the good news, anyone, processors, drug dealers, tax collectors, fair, anybody with any kind of background can come, but when you come, make sure that you know that following me is denying yourself, carrying the cross, and then follow me. And what he's saying there is, if you want to follow me, there's no, there's no sampling me. There's no a money-back guarantee if you don't like what you're getting. There's no part-time service. There's no when it's convenient. Jesus says it's all-consuming and involves your entire life. His only way this thing works is if I am your everything. When I am not one of many, but you're one and only. And then the song that you guys have been singing this morning, Seizing the Offering, just, it's, 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 it's causing us as a church to ask the question, right? You guys have been in church all of our lives. What is it? Am I following him every day? Am I following in the footsteps of my master? The other thing of the make a decision theology is that we've completely, completely forgotten about the fact that being a disciple is intricately linked to making disciples. Like, I don't, know how, I don't know how the American Western church, not every church, American Western church, forgot that the one thing that he said before he ascended to heaven was, therefore, go and make disciples. And I've, I've said this. I know this caused some of you discomfort. But Jesus didn't, despite what we think, spend the bulk of his time fighting for justice. He didn't spend the bulk of his time caring for the needy. He didn't spend the bulk of his time healing people or preaching. He did those things, and those were incredibly important parts. But he, what, devoted bulk of his time making disciples. Why? Because simply, he wanted his work to continue after long he was gone. His plan for changing the world was to gather a group of men and women, if you read the New Testament, and ask them to follow him. There was the three, there was the 12, there was the 72, and the 120 who followed him. The gospel that we preach, the gospel that we preach, I got to hurry here. The gospel that we preach, okay, I think determines the kind of disciples we make. The gospel that we preach determines the kind of disciples we make. And what I mean by that is what we win them with is what we win them to, okay, is what we've been saying. 
I almost hesitated doing this because remember what I've been saying? I've been hammering away at this. We've been educated beyond our level of obedience. And I hate the fact that I, you know, this already kind of feels like, oh, he's teaching. I get more information. I get... Anyway. The gospel, the gospel, I think, rightly proclaimed, you guys, ought to cause people not to follow Jesus, but people who are making disciples. But here's the problem. So the make a decision theology, I think I'm not a good artist, okay? I was going to maybe ask Ruth to come up here and draw as I talk, okay? So don't make fun of my drawings, okay? I'm going to talk. Can you guys see this in the back? No, of course you can't. That's why you need to come early. Make a decision theology, right? I think, not all the time, but produces what I call religious Christians. You guys talk, we talk about this all the time in our church. The difference between religion and the gospel. Religious Christians, religion or religiosity says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. And some of us come from church backgrounds where we get saved by grace, but then everything else is about works. So we get saved by grace, but I have to earn God's love, earn God's, you go, oh, that's not me, really, really? Then why do you have this mindset? If I have a good week, then God answers my prayer. If I have a bad week, then he doesn't answer my prayer. My performance determines my relationship with God. You don't think you're religious? Why are you insecure then? Why are you anxious? Why do you constantly feel like you're falling short? And in this religiosity gospel, right, where we have the, here's, I think, what happens. So here's, oops, so here, sorry, here's you, okay? And in this, there is some point, okay? And this is, I need to be holy, I need to be righteous, to be, uh, to be accepted, to be approved. Anybody familiar with this? Come on. Yeah. And so in this, in this system, if you will, all the spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, serving, giving, all of these things become, become essentially avenues to earn God's acceptance, earn God's love. And in this system, the all-consuming question is, how am I doing? How am I doing? Okay? How am I doing? How am I doing? What could, anybody, how am I doing? And then we get the gospel, though, because the gospel says what? Look, check this out. The gospel says, look, this is so powerful. Another circle. Here's a cross. The gospel says, hello, anybody. I am in Christ. Therefore, I obey. In gospel, I'm already holy. I'm already righteous. I am already accepted. I am already in. I am already close to God. I am in Christ. Did you get that handout when you came in? Look at all these things that we are. And the worship team reminds us this. In Christ, I have been set free from sin condemnation, set free from Satan's kingdom, forgiven of all my sins, given the Holy Spirit, adopted into God's family, justified freely, given all things for godliness, given authority by power, given access to God. I am in Christ, free forever from power, since power, loved eternally, not condemned, one with the Lord, quickened by his mighty power, seated in the heavenly places, hidden with Christ and God, secure in Christ, more than a conqueror. I have access to God the Father, an anchor for my soul, hope that is sure, power 
power to witness, the mind of Christ, peace of God. I can do all things, Christ. Find mercy and grace in time. Come boldly to the throne of God. Defeat the enemy and tread Satan. I cannot be separated, be lost or perish, be moved, be taken up, be charged, be condemned. I am in Christ all of these things. And when you realize that, the question doesn't become, how am I doing? But the question becomes, God, how can you be so good? That's the question you're asking. God, how can you be so good? And you guys saying about the right God, how can you be so good? Which then leads to, don't miss this. Which then leads to the third question, which is, God, how can you be so good? I'm in, I'm accepted, I'm approved. Then the question becomes not how am I doing, but how am I doing loving those that God has already placed in my life, which is discipleship. John 13, 34, 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. Do you see the paradigm shift? That's what I'm constantly asking. Is the gospel real to you? Is the gospel real to you? Is the gospel real to you? Are you struck by the beauty, the prologue? Are you struck by the beauty of God saying, God, how can you be so good? Which then causes you to no longer ask, how am I doing? How am I doing? But then causes you to go, how am I doing? Outward. Loving those God has already placed in my life. Discipleship is about loving and serving those God has already placed in our lives at work, at school, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and around the world. So where are you? Where am I today? I have to do all these things. And by the way, when you understand the gospel, God, how can you be so good? These spiritual disciplines don't become ways to earn God's acceptance, but they become ways that I can be more like Jesus. To be conformed to his image. Not to earn. I'm already in. I'm already good. I'm already good. I'm already in. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm approved. I am God's son. I am God's daughter. And so why would I not do all these things to be more like him? Where are you? Where am I? I refer to this throughout the sermon series. Are you asking how am I doing loving those that God has already placed in my life? Or are you consumed with how am I doing? Am I in? Am I secure? Am I? Shana Vildermuth is someone who has given more than 15 years of her life in an organization called Navigators Making Disciples. And she is going to be sharing a part of her story and her journey towards being a follower of Jesus who invites other people to follow Jesus. Give her a big hand. Good morning, Shana. Good morning. You are with your family, so Thanks. no need to be nervous. Thanks. I've known you for four plus years, yeah. and I'm aware of your passion for discipleship and disciple making. 
Now, I was hoping that this would be an opportunity for our church to get to know you better as we are on this journey. Let's begin here. Why is discipleship so important for you? Yeah, it is so important for me because it has literally saved my life. Um, God has used it to, yeah, save my life. So I want to share a little bit of my story. Um, So I grew up um, on a farm, actually in central Illinois, in a very, very conservative, legalistic, rules-based home. Um, We went to church three times a week. This was our story right Mm -hmm. here. Um, And I really had this concept of God that he was all about um, me keeping the rules, and if not, he was um, coming at me in anger, which is actually very much like my father. And so there was um, a lot of fear of God and a lot of knowledge, but very little understanding of grace and the gospel. Um, fast forward to college. Um, my freshman year, my dad passed away, and it was actually um, an incredible turning point for me spiritually. It was where I really called out to God and asked him to um, be made known in my life. And shortly after that, I got um, connected to this disciple-making ministry called The Navigators um, and really for the first time heard about grace. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. along with that, for the first time, I learned that God wanted to use my life. I had never heard that growing up in the church I grew up in, that God wanted to use me Mm -hmm. in the lives of others. Mm -hmm. And it set me on fire. Um, Mm -hmm. God just gave me this burning desire from my classmates, from my coworkers, to know him. And I became very zealous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but still, I would say my experience in that particular ministry was still a little void of um, heart level transformation. And there was a lot of doing. And I knew how to do. do. I grew up on a farm, I worked. And so a lot of that um, the lies that I had believed about myself and about God and about my father, I transferred over to God in this ministry. Mm. And um, I was discipling many women and um, leading a lot of Bible studies. Um, but I would have to say that a lot of what I was doing was this. And um, at the, by the age of 28, um, and this is built up to this, but... I was um, struggling massively with suicide, and I had been actually for years, but it was increasing. I was um, in a relationship, in a meshed emotional relationship with a man 22 years older than me, Um, but I was yet in full-time ministry and had memorized hundreds of verses Mm. and could lead Bible studies and had led people um, to Christ. And... um, So I was in a major crisis at that point and knew that something had to happen. Thankfully, um, this older couple, they were in their 60s at the time, I had confided in her about this relationship that I was in, and um, she was a safe person. And her and her husband um, went on a rescue mission, honestly, to Mm. save my life, um, because I was headed fast toward death, literal death, um, and many other things. Uh, And so I remember they invited me, they were in South Carolina, and they invited me to come be with them. And I remember just even this this, uh, thinking, I'm either going to take my life or I'm going to ruin this marriage and get married to this man 
And I knew that was not what God wanted, but I did want that on some level. Or I could go back to the farm, and I knew that was definitely a place where I would die. Um, And so I moved to South Carolina. And when I was there, um, for the first year that I was there, um, I literally spent most of my time in my bed. I was so depressed, and life was so dark. I interacted with three people, Marsha. Um, and my two roommates. And over time, um, God brought a lot of healing. She was a therapist, and so I'd meet with her one or two times a week. Um, At one point, um, I became so suicidal that her and her husband, Jack, asked me to move into their home. And it was the day after I had prayed that God would um, let me live with a healthy family one day, and he answered that the next day. And um, It was there where Marsha walked with me as I faced my traumatic childhood. Um, My discipleship up to that point had not dealt with my dad's abuse and had not dealt with um, the years of trauma from my childhood. And so through that time, um, it was two years, honestly, of a ton of therapy. God healed me in many ways. And I would say I'm alive in places I was dead. I'm free in places where I was in bondage. Mm -hmm. And um, I have joy in places where I never believed I would Mm -hmm. know joy. Um, And so from then, I remember Marcia saying to me at the time, (laughs) one day the way you will disciple women and men um, will be dramatically different than before you came to South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I remember the time being like, I don't care. I just want to be well. (laughs) Um, Because I was hurting so bad myself. I was like, why does she keep telling me this? Um, But she's right. And my discipleship has dramatically changed since then to include heart level depth and not just a lot of Bible knowledge and a lot of doing. Yeah. Yeah. I know in some ways you're preaching to the choir this morning. What, what is disciple-making in light of your experience, Shana, look like for you as it was modeled for you as well as the way that you lived your life as a disciple-maker? Yeah. So I just, I wrote down, and this is just in my words, authentically sharing my life and intentionally investing in the lives of others so that they might live, God's, live out God's purposes for their lives. Mm-hmm. And... Um, some of you know this, those of you leading life groups, um, we've been talking in terms of relational and intentional and missional. And I really like those terms and would agree with that, that discipleship has a very relational component to it, um, a very intentional component, and a very um, missional. Um, as I've already shared some, when I first started discipling others, and it was very, um, it was very intentional. And it was very missional, but it wasn't very relational. And so, unfortunately, early on, um, what I did was we memorized a lot of verses. Um, I shoved gospel illustration down people um, because I was, like, on fire for people to know Jesus. But I really missed um, the relational. And I can say that I've had multiple people come to me and felt tell me that they thought they were a project. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I didn't really love them. Um, there was one girl that I shared a gospel illustration with that um, 
I really, all I cared is that I shared it with her. Um, mm. And she, I remember she would just hang her head and, and switch um, sidewalks if she saw me. I was, this mm. is when I was at Illinois State University. And I remember being broken over that. Thankfully, I, to be a disciple is to be someone who learns. So I've yes. learned a lot from um, the things I've done mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. So I actually really repented of that. And she lived on my street at one point, And I just remember, okay, God, you have her on my street. And so now I just pray that you would reverse the impact of that. Because mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. I felt like what I did probably drove her away from Christ. Mm-hmm. And I had to trust that God was bigger than my mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I prayed a lot for her. Um, so that's kind of some of the things that I've done that, um, yeah, were not good in the relational part. Um, thankfully, with Marsha um, in South Carolina, she taught me a lot about um, what it was like to walk with me in everyday life, that it wasn't just this once-a-week thing yeah. where you, like, are really focused, yeah. but um, she cared about my life. Um, she taught me what it was like to... Um, do self-care well. That was a new thought for me. Mm. If you told my dad the word self-care, he would have thought you were crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, that, that my body matters, that my um, pacing in my life matters, yes. that taking days off yes. matter, mm-hmm. that sleep matters. Um, I remember we would go to meals. A lot of discipleship for me has been around meals mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. talking. Mm-hmm this intentional, but yet in that, so there's the relational, but the intentional also is asking questions. And um, so that's what it looks like for me now is this intentional of asking questions. Um, I think a lot of people could really grow at being people who ask questions. Just practice curiosity, ask people about their lives, go deeper. Um, I am intentional in affirming what is true in people. I read this statistic the other day that um, People in the ages of 18 to 35 um, don't believe, many of them don't believe um, they have anyone who believes in them. Mm. And I just thought, that's heartbreaking. And that was me pre-20, before I was 28. I mean, there were probably were people who believed in me, but I didn't feel it. And so I just think it goes a long way to say to someone, I see you. Yes. I believe in you. God's good. And so this happened just the other day. I'm discipling a, um, an 18-year-old, or no, 17. She's a senior in high school through an, uh, an organization called Grip Outreach for Youth. Some of you know that. And, and she, the other day, gets in my car, and she's grumpy. And I'm like, what is going on? Um, so we go get Popeye's chicken sandwiches. and um, <laughs> don't, it, was, it was great. She was still grumpy. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Um, so I'm praying for her because it was kind of, I'm like, this isn't that fun, but I love her. And so I start talking with her and she, I ask questions about her life. I know she's applying for colleges. And so I ask her questions and because I've built a relationship with her over the last three years, she was really honest with me about how she was feeling about applying for some of these colleges. And I'm not going to share exactly what she said because it's her story, but I just was like, okay, this is where I need to remind her who she is and just say, don't hold back. Apply to that college. Mm -hmm. God has a good plan for you. You are brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You are beautiful. You are important. And um, she just recently got her license, so she was driving. But Mm -hmm. I could see her just begin to, to change her outlook. And then I just shared with her, I'm starting this new organization and I'm scared. Yeah. And I'm really scared that people will criticize me yeah. and I'm scared it will fail. Yeah. 
and, but I still believe God's good. And I believe God's good for you. And even if you apply for that college and don't get in, God's still good. And then I said, you know, if I had the pencil to my life, it wouldn't look like it does today. But I gave that pencil over to God at some point. And the story he's written is yes. far better than the story I could write. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I said, that's true for you too. So apply for that college. Yeah. Go all out. There was two and I said, regardless of if you get it or not, God's goodness is still true. Yes. And so it's just, I just think yes. that's what discipleship looks like yeah. to me. I just, reminder of who she is, reminder who God is. Yes. And um, yeah, I just do that intentionally in mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Shana, this week, uh, when we met as a staff and we're sort of talking about the journey we're on, a couple of folks mentioned um, that, there might be some folks in our church who feel sort of, I don't even know where to begin. Like, I've never had this modeled for me, right? This is not something that I, yeah, I experienced growing up, right? And, and that's, that's probably a good number of us, right? This intentional discipleship. Like, and so there's some folks who feel in some ways paralyzed and kind of stuck. Like, how do I even begin this? Can I do this, you know? What would you say to folks that are like that and experiencing that or feeling that? Yeah. Um, I believe um, if you're a follower of Jesus, he wants you to be making disciples, as Pastor Peter's been saying. And if you have non-Christians in your life, you can be making disciples. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have Christians in your life, you can be making disciples. And I would say you start with prayer. And I think sometimes prayer can feel like you just sit, or this is how I used to think of prayer. You sit and you ask God things. That's one element of prayer. But I think prayer is is much more communing with God as you're going about your life. And so pray and ask God, what is he doing in the lives of the people around you? And how does he want to use you in their life? And God wants to answer that prayer. Like, I love this passage in Matthew 9 that says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers Mm -hmm. are few. And then what Jesus says to the disciples is ask for workers in the harvest field. And the workers are just everyday people out in life, as Pastor Peter, you said, is like as you are going in your life to make disciples. And so if you are someone who's in my life, I am someone who prays a lot. I talk with God about you. He talks to me about you. And so um, actually this young woman I was just telling you about, I taught her how to drive this last year. Mm. And she told me she had a boyfriend, and I thought, well, one day I want to meet him. Mm. And um, so at one point, she's like, can you teach my boyfriend how to drive? And I was like, okay. I want to get to know him. Mm. I'm kind of risky in some areas. Mm-hmm. Some people would say, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of like that level of adventure. You get a stranger in your car in a parking lot, and you teach him how to drive. Um, but... So he starts, I start teaching him how to drive, mm-hmm. and, but I start praying for him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I wonder mm-hmm. what his story is, and I wonder if God has, a, has me in his life for a yeah. reason. Yeah. And um, so I do, I start praying for him, and she goes back to school, and he's already graduated, so then I'm like, well, I think I'm going to drive with just him. Yeah. And I've built a relationship at this point, and I've met his mom and a couple siblings, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. had been driving, and maybe you hear a theme here, I like chicken um and we went to chick-fil-a and <laughs> hold on, hold on. 
Which is better? <laughs> Come on, Shayna. Which oh, gosh, is better? I don't know. I don't Come do on, Shayna. Which don't is better? <laughs> which is, I am not, you're knocking off the, which is better? Currently, I'm loving Popeyes, not gonna lie. <laughs> but I love both. Anyway, back to this story. Back to the story, yes. <laughs> I've actually taken him to both places. I don't know what she would say better. But we're at Chick. Chick-fil-A, and because I believe discipleship is holistic, it's yes. the spiritual, but it's all of life. I'm helping him with his resume. Yes. And we get back to the car, and he has the keys because he's learning how to drive, and we don't go anywhere. And I'm like, why is he just sitting here? But we're just talking, yeah. and because I am someone who shares my life, and I don't know how we get there, but this is kind of just happens with me. I share with him about my abusive dad, and I share with him about... Um, I struggle with suicidal thoughts, and um, at some point, the Holy Spirit's like, this is an important moment. Mm -hmm. I'm realizing he's not driving away mm -hmm. because he's wanting to talk. Yeah. And I've heard that guys prefer side-by-side -side than face-to-face, -face, so I was like, okay. We do. Yeah. He's, he prefers this, yeah. so I'm like, <laughs> we've never had this conversation face-to-face, -face, but then he starts pouring out his life story to me. Mm. There's a lot of heartache in his story. And this is a young man from the neighborhood of Austin. He's 18, six foot two. I look so small by him. Mm. And so I just, but in his story, he shares, I want to get closer to God. Mm. And he shares this with me because he knows I love Jesus. Yes. And so I said, how can I help you? Yes. And so he tells me, and I said, okay. And I said, after you get your license, which is going to happen this week, probably, mm -hmm. I say, can we still get together yeah. periodically and yeah. kind of just walk alongside you? And he said, yes. And then I look at him and I say, this is so me to do this. But I look at him and say, I know it's weird that a 38-year-old white woman cares about your life. Yeah. And he goes, but I was like, but I do. And he looks at me. He's just a very kind man. He goes, I know, Shayna. Yeah. Um, mm. So then, yeah, that's my relationship with mm. him. And I don't know what God will do, but I see in him this spiritual hunger. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what I would say. I would say pray, yeah. see what God does. Yeah. A similar story happened with my roommate. I had a had an open room in my home, yeah. and I felt like God just laid on my heart, you got this room, I'm going to put someone in it yeah. and start praying for that person. So I did, and I was wondering who that person would be. And then um, at the same time, there was this young not young, she's, well, yeah, she's young, but a senior in college. And um, I, I asked her if I could share this story, so she knows that I'm sharing it today, but uh, that I really just have a relationship with, God's doing some things in her life, and we'd been praying for her and asking God, what's my part in her life? Well, we're at a conference together, and she shares with me that she needs a place to live. Mm. And I just remember being like, I mm. think God just answered two prayers. Mm at one time. And so I took a night to pray about it. I wanted to say right then, well, you can stay at my place, but then I took a night to pray about it, and now she's my roommate. And it's definitely a discipleship relationship. I think she's here. Is she here? Hi, Well, there she is in the back. Welcome. Aw, she did this. Those of you that didn't see. She's a delight to walk with. Um, and we have very intentional conversations. Yeah. We have a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but God is transforming her life. And he's using me. And God's using her to transform my life as well. So that was a long answer. No. It was beautiful. Um, uh, you, 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 you're mentioning so many things, Shana, around...
just what disciples said. You mentioned hospitality and simply opening up our homes and having people come in and out, right? Being a part of our family is something that many of us can do, right? You also mentioned praying for people. By the way, guys, when people talk about evangelism, like, one of the things I do, because people know a lot of places that I am out, like I'm a pastor, I simply go, can I pray for you? And I share stuff. I just, can I pray? And I have yet, in all of my years, of asking someone, can I pray for you? Nobody has said to me, no. Like, nobody has said, get out of here. No. Can I pray for you? Folks are like, yeah. And you pray for them, and then you circle back the week after and go, you know, as I was praying for you, God laid this scripture on my heart. Here it is. And then you circle back and say, How, how's it going with your wife? How's it going with your kids? Just simply asking folks, can I pray for you? Is this is powerful. We have to talk about one, one more thing before we go. Is that okay, guys? Is it okay? Yeah, Shana. One of the things that I've seen in your life in terms of what discipleship looks like is that sometimes we have this idea that it's one person who is like the master of all of these things pouring into one person. And frankly, discipleship could look community also. What do I mean? You're someone that I've seen who've had someone pouring into you and discipling in the area of emotional health. You've had someone pouring into you in terms of your growth as a white person in the issue of racial justice. You've had, I mean, you've had a number of people, right, in your life, some of them who you know more about the Bible, I mean, you know more about the Bible than some of these folks, and yet these are areas that these folks are discipling. And one of those areas in our journey has been your journey as a white person in terms of racial justice. And I'll never forget, some of us were part of that. We're part of a small group, Talking Circles, and we read Michelle Alexander's book. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? And he just wept the first night. Share with our church your journey of how you've been discipled in that area by a community of people and how now you're turning around and playing a small part in terms of discipling others. Yeah. So I'll never forget uh, that small group because it was the beginning of major change in my heart and life. Um, And Newcom has been that. And realizing, pre-Chicago, so I've been here five years, um, my world was very white. Um, Who I discipled, who discipled me, were white. Um, And so when I was in that small group and just being at this church, I realized there was a whole lot that I didn't know about my race and about this country and the history and the roots of white supremacy and the internalized racism that I had. And I just, I mean, maybe it's pretty obvious. I've surrendered my life to Jesus and have given him the pen, like I said. And so just like, here I go, God, like change me. Um, And at the same time, the same summer that I was in that small group, um, many of you know this woman, Tylena, was the first black woman that I started discipling. And I thought, I don't know how to do this. Like I went from, I know how to do this to, oh, there's this huge area, this huge blind spot that I don't have. Mm. And so Mm. she wasn't yet in Chicago, but weekly we talked on the phone and I just started sharing with her what I learned. Mm. And I remember, I am someone who cries easily, but um, we would just cry together because she was fundraising and that was something that was hard um, for her for multiple reasons, one of which is, being an ethnic minority, and I was learning all this. And so God just started to transform 
um, me and I was at um, UIC, so a lot of the students that I was investing in were non-white. And mm -hmm. I remember mm -hmm. I did some things that I regret doing I was, because I was so oblivious. But um, I, yeah, God allowed me to humble myself. And I, you were one of those people that I asked to walk with me. Mm -hmm. Pastor Michael at the time was here. Mm -hmm. This woman, Jane, um, in Atlanta. Um, my now colleague, BJ, I asked him, I actually paid him even to coach me. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's something he does. And so, um, yeah, and then I just realized that my proximity to people um, was changing me. And then my friends were no longer just white. Um, the people I loved, and I remember around the election, or after the election, the way I responded to it was very different. And within a few days, um, I had interacted with either on the phone or in person or in groups, 30 people of color and various degrees of sadness or anger or just wrestling. And um, the week after I went to a conference in Indiana with my, with other people who were leading campuses and it was like nothing had happened. And I remember being like, whoa, my world has changed. What I care about and the people I care about is different. And so now um, it's 100% true of my discipleship is that you have that I have to talk about race and so I help white people realize what whiteness is <laughs> um, and have really hard conversations of um, yeah repenting of internalized racism white supremacy it's a hard journey yep. Um, yep. but I walk with them I'm still walking yes. the rest of my life my yes. journey in this and then for those of color just um, have conversations of what does it look like for you to live out the fullness of who God has made you yes. as a black woman, as a black yes. man, as a yes. uh, Latina woman. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm still learning a lot in that, mm -hmm. but I've changed a lot in regard to discipleship. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for who you are and this incredible journey that you've been on, Shana. I think I can say this for those of us that know you. We're so proud of you. Thank you. We're so proud of the incredible hard work in the area of emotional health, racial identity, and just learning to be a follower of Jesus. You're a woman of courage. Thanks. You're incredibly brave. Thank you. And your willingness to put yourself out there and to lead in humility and brokenness has been inspiring for many of us. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of it. Many of you here have been and are a part yeah. of that. And speak, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I love, I love doing this. I opened up with justice and how he grows as they grow. I'd love for those of you that have been a part of Shana's community in small and big ways, will you come up, join us on stage? Because I want us to surround this young lady and pray for her. Come on, you guys. This is the picture of the body. This is the picture of the body of Christ. This is always one of the most encouraging things for me. And why don't you stand right here? Yeah, thank you guys. Were you guys blessed by Shana's story, testimony? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Shana, look at this. Look around you. These are men and women, okay? 
who have poured into you because you have given your life to them. Yeah, come on, Ali. Come on, Ali. Yeah, come on, come on. Hey, stretch out your hand like that, okay, as we pray for Shana. She briefly mentioned this, but she is um, moving on to a different organization from Navigators, having served there for 15 years. And, and, and she has shared with, with some of us that it is, as she shared today, that it is you know, fraught with some anxiety, some worry, what if I fail, so on and so forth. And so as we pray and commission Shana into this next season and chapter and journey of her life, we're gonna pray right now that the anointing of God, the anointing of God, and Lord, I don't use that word lightly, the anointing of God that is on this woman, the anointing of God that is on this woman. We are witnesses today as we stand here on the stage of the way that she has impacted us and our lives have been transformed as a result. And Father, we believe, Shana, we believe in you. We believe in you. We believe in who you are and who God has created you to be. And we, as a church, come around you now and say, as you enter into this next season, Father, we pray and ask that you would fill her with the power of your spirit. Acts 1.8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And as she goes to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, we pray that she would go in the power of the Holy Spirit. That every life she encounters, God, every life she encounters, God, that person or that group would walk away saying, I encounter Jesus today as a result of encountering Shana. May your power and your spirit work that mightily and powerfully through her, Lord. Father, provide resources in terms of finances, prayer support, an army of people that will join her, God, in this next season of her life. We don't have to wonder whether you will use her. You already have and you already will, Lord. So we we come around affirming that. We come around, Lord God, declaring that truth in Jesus' name. And Lord, may we as her church family be the primary place in which she will be encouraged, she will be equipped, she will be strengthened, and she will be reminded of gospel truth that will continue to anchor her. May we be that community that lives out Ephesians 4 that would equip her and prepare her for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. May we be faithful to that, Lord, and may we be obedient to that. We do celebrate your goodness today. God, our hearts do cry out, God, how can you be so good? I mean, I hear that, God, reverberating throughout Shana's testimony. God, how can you be so good? How can you be so good to me? How can you be so good? Your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness, your generosity. How can you be so good? Which in turn will cause her and all of us to say, Lord, may we be found faithful to love those who are already in our lives. Teach us how, show us how, and empower us and enable us to do so. You're a good, good father. You are a good, good father. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your son. We pray all this in your name. Amen.
Church, we all stand together with me as we sing this last